Welcome to Secrets True Crime, The Disappearance of Jessica Hamby. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the disappearance of Jessica Hamby. Listener discretion is advised. The subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. This episode does contain foul language. It is not suitable for younger listeners. This is episode 18 of season three of a serialized podcast, and the episodes are designed to be listened to in order. Jessica Leanne Hamby has been missing since January 3rd, 2018. At the time of her disappearance, the 24-year-old mother of three was a beautiful brunette with big hazel eyes. She had a head full of long, thick hair, was five foot two inches tall, and weighed about 125 pounds. In the five years since Jessica was last reported to be seen, the stories regarding her disappearance and fate have been plentiful and the facts scarce. We are starting from the beginning, and by the beginning, we are beginning with Jessica's life six months prior to her disappearance as we bring to you the findings of our investigation in real time. When an inaccurate piece of information in an investigation leads investigators to the wrong answer, it is often referred to as a red herring. A red herring is a false clue or piece of information that is intentionally or unintentionally misleading and it distracts from the true circumstances. In the context of a missing persons case, a red herring could be a piece of information about the person's whereabouts or activities that is inaccurate or intentionally misleading, leading investigators to focus their search in the wrong area or to pursue the wrong leads. For more than five years, investigators working to solve the disappearance of Jessica Hamby have consistently maintained that she never left Elgin Cochran Road and have privately expanded that notion with her family, telling them Jessica never left Elgin Cochran Road alive. Today, we seek to examine how the prevalence of red herrings may have adversely affected Jessica's case. However, before delving into this subject, it is crucial to review the evidence that invalidates this particular red herring. The individuals who were with Jessica on the night of January 2nd and the morning of January 3rd, 2018, 
and are considered persons of interest in her disappearance, have consistently stated that after departing Gilbert Shaw's camper, they proceeded to the Edwards property located on Elgin Cochran Road, where they remained throughout the night and the following morning. Through advanced geofencing techniques, investigators were able to trace Jessica's indirect and questionable route from Journey Detox in Haleyville to Gilbert Shaw's camper near the North Fork Bridge construction site in the Hamilton-Hackleburg area of Marion County. However, inexplicably, after arriving at the camper, Jessica's device dropped off the geofence, and no further location data was attainable through that method. Based on Nilo's data retrieved from Jessica and Eric Edwards' devices, we can confidently say that Jessica was not lounging or sleeping at Eric's house throughout the night and the next morning. Instead, she was on the move, and the Nilos data would suggest that she was traveling by vehicle. This notion is further supported by Jessica's Facebook records, which indicate that she was connected to three different IP addresses during the 10 hours leading up to her disappearance. Notably, she made multiple trips into the Northwest Hamilton area, including after daybreak on January 3rd. By 7.33 a.m., she had returned to the Northwest Hamilton area, which is an area where there are gas stations and fast food restaurants. The accuracy range of Jessica's Nilos data improved greatly while closer to the city, and her location points have an accuracy range of fewer than 1,000 meters. Because of that tight accuracy radius, it is nearly impossible for her to have been anywhere on or even close to Elgin Cochran Road, and the travel time clearly indicates that she was in a vehicle. Furthermore, a message sent by Jessica to Travis Jackson at 7.35 a.m. on the morning of her disappearance further supports the Nilos data. In the message, she wrote, Eating really quick, and then I'm coming to kidnap your ass. The trip back into Hamilton would make perfect sense for someone looking for something to eat. Around the same time, Jessica was in a heated argument via messenger with her ex-boyfriend, Marcos Pagan. As we have discussed in previous episodes, this conversation serves as compelling evidence that Jessica was still alive and well until at least 7.37 a.m. on the morning of her disappearance, given the personal nature of their communication. At precisely 7.51 a.m., Jessica sent the now infamous message to Eric Edwards that read, Hey, they ain't gonna shoot me for walking." Jessica's next position point was captured at 7.52 a.m., but the signal was weak, 
so the data only provided the location of the cell tower on Buttahatchie Drive off US-43. Eric's Nelos reported two positions with different accuracy ranges, but both were situated at his residence on Elgin Cochran Road. Jessica attempted to call Eric directly at 7.53 a.m., but he did not answer, and the call went to voicemail. This call was the trigger for Jessica's very last Nelos position, which had an accuracy radius of 5,000 meters and was centered in the hunting club area off County Road 29 near New Hope Baptist Church, roughly five miles west of Eric's house. While we cannot confirm Jessica's precise location at this time, we can rule out one possibility with complete certainty. She was not on Elgin Cochran Road. The Nelos reports conclusively exclude this area from the range of Jessica's potential locations. Ironically, Screenshots of messages exchanged between Alicia Motes and ABC 3340 reporter Cynthia Gould uncovered a significant revelation. It was revealed that Haleyville Police Department investigator Tim Steen was aware that Jessica was not at the Edwards property when she disappeared, a fact that was corroborated by Nelos evidence which he shared with Alicia. However, Alicia acknowledged in her communications with Gould that despite this hard evidence that Investigator Steen presented to her, the State Bureau of Investigation continued to insist that Jessica never left Elgin Cochran Road. Another detail of this case that we haven't previously discussed sure raises many questions in our minds. Multiple sources close to the investigation, including Jessica's dad, Keith, tell us that even though Haleyville PD was initially the primary agency in Jessica's missing persons case, Investigator Tim Steen was excluded from many parts of the investigation and was later actually forced out of it. He was told his help was not needed. In hindsight, it's rather ironic that the one investigator who seemed to acknowledge Jessica's true location at the time of her disappearance is the one forced out of their own investigation. For several months now, we have danced around this issue, but the reality is that the SBI investigators must account for why they maintain that they cannot locate Jessica Hamby beyond Elgin Cochran Road when they have no concrete evidence to place her there other than statements from persons of interest who have already provided false information. The last location that Jessica can be conclusively placed through geofencing is Gilbert Shaw's camper. The only way to substantiate claims that Jessica was on Elgin Cochran Road is through Nelos data. And if this is used to establish her location, 
how can one overlook or ignore the fact that Nilo's data clearly indicates that Jessica had left Elgin Cochran Road on the morning of January 3rd and was not present on Elgin Cochran Road when she sent her very last messages. Maybe the same way investigators from the same SBI office overlooked the video of Walker County Sheriff's Office jailers carrying a seemingly lifeless Tony Mitchell from the jail and stuffing him in the back of a Sheriff's Office vehicle. Many of you didn't realize that the death of inmate Tony Mitchell in Walker County has some alarming implications on Jessica's and even Jeremy's cases, but it does. Generally speaking, if investigators mistakenly believe that a missing person was last seen in a particular location or with certain individuals, they may focus their investigation on that area or people and neglect or dismiss other important leads. This could lead to crucial evidence being overlooked or ignored or witnesses who may have seen something elsewhere may not be interviewed. Overall, it is key for investigators to ensure that they have all the facts straight, especially pertinent ones, in a missing persons case, as any mistake or oversight could have serious consequences for the outcome of the investigation. Speaking specifically to Jessica's case, we believe the misinformation provided to the public about Jessica's last known location and the insistence by investigators that she was last known to be on Elgin Cochran Road has greatly and negatively impacted her case and has prevented more viable theories from being investigated. People like the Abbott Extended Family and Associates, Shane Tank Vandiver, Andre Newell, Brandon Clark, JoLynn Murphy, Lisa Clark, Johnny Borden, Dusty Jorner, Eric Edwards, female relatives like Tiffany and Stephanie Cochran, and many others have all been largely ignored by law enforcement despite many faults and inconsistent statements. One of the major red herrings that has clouded the investigation into Jessica's disappearance is the suspicious death of Jeremy Abbott, which was hastily ruled a suicide with minimal investigation and no autopsy. Our own investigation has revealed that, like Jessica, Jeremy had expressed concerns for his safety in the months leading up to his disappearance. Although Jeremy had no prior criminal history, he had a warrant out for his arrest due to a failure to appear in court for a traffic violation related to not wearing a seatbelt. It remains unclear whether this warrant or some other unknown factor played a role, but we have uncovered information that approximately three months before his disappearance, Jeremy was arrested and taken to the Winston County Jail. According to a fellow inmate, 
Jeremy was in a state of panic and fear upon arriving at the jail. The inmate reports that Jeremy claimed he was being targeted by people who believed he had snitched on them after they stole something, and that these individuals were now trying to kill him. He even shared that they had already beaten him, and he had to get himself arrested deliberately to escape from them. Sadly, the inmate reported hearing that Jeremy had died just a few months later. There is some degree of corroboration for the inmate's statement regarding Jeremy Abbott's arrest and subsequent panic. Jeremy's family member did bail him out of the jail after he was arrested over a traffic violation, and upon picking him up, Jeremy allegedly reported that people had been chasing him through the woods, threatening to kill him. He also had needle marks on his body, which he claimed were the result of being injected with something by these same people. Regrettably, the family member did not take these claims seriously, assuming they were the result of drug use. However, in light of subsequent events and the larger picture, it appears that Jeremy and Jessica's fears may have been entirely justified rather than delusions brought on by drug use. Other individuals have come forward to report more specific statements that Jeremy made to them in the weeks and days leading up to his disappearance, all of which suggest that someone believed he had stolen something and was now intent on killing him for it. It is a verifiable fact that while Jessica was incarcerated in the Winston County Jail, at least one officer from the Haleyville PD, Jason Williams, interviewed her, during which she divulged the location of Jeremy Abbott's body. Jessica also disclosed to both her mother and father that she knew where Jeremy's remains were, and she expressed fear about the prospect of providing this information to law enforcement. These events beg the question, if Jeremy truly committed suicide, how would Jessica have been aware of his location, and why would revealing it have placed her in peril? We need not reiterate the countless red flags surrounding Jeremy's disappearance and death, except to emphasize that they existed and were entirely disregarded. Despite the presence of these warning signs, Jeremy's death was hastily determined to be a suicide at the scene, with the coroner failing to even show up on site. Investigators made a questionable decision when obtaining Facebook search warrants, especially in obtaining Jessica's records. They only obtained her Facebook records for three days prior to her disappearance. Most of those three days of data provided no information because Jessica was at the detox facility and not allowed access to her phone until she left there, less than 12 hours before her disappearance. This decision appears perplexing given that in cases of missing persons and murders, 
investigators need to piece together a timeline of events leading up to the incident, spanning days, weeks, and even months, scrutinizing a missing person's messages from months prior to their disappearance can be of immense value, providing valuable insights into their state of mind, potential clues regarding their whereabouts or activities, identification of key contacts and persons of interest, and perhaps even a motive for their disappearance. It is our strong belief that critical information may have been overlooked by investigators as the messages exchanged in the weeks and months leading up to Jessica's disappearance likely contain crucial clues. Notably, there were several alarming indications of trouble present in the messages from the 11 hours preceding her disappearance, including a concerned friend expressing fear for her safety. Moreover, Jessica's conversations with Marcos Pagan contained a request for a meeting to discuss Jeremy Abbott, and certain lines in those messages are so significant that they bear repeating. We are convinced that a comprehensive review of all relevant messages, including those from months prior to the incident, could yield valuable insights and lead to new avenues of investigation. Here are the most pertinent messages between Jessica and Marcos Pagan. Jessica, me and you need to have a sit-down about Jeremy. Marcos, no, we don't, Jessica. I didn't have nothing to do with Jeremy's death. Sounds like you need to have a sit-down with his family. Consider the implications of Marcos's messages to Jessica. Despite her request for a meeting to discuss Jeremy Abbott, Marcos dismisses the idea, insisting that he had no involvement in Jeremy's death. Instead, he suggests that Jessica should meet with Jeremy's family, which some have interpreted as insinuating their culpability in the matter. Indeed, Jessica confided in others that Jeremy was allegedly killed by a group of individuals, including some of his own family members, such as his cousin, Jesse Abbott, and his uncle, J.K. Abbott. These disturbing allegations warrant further scrutiny, but it seems that any information that points to Jessica's role in providing police the location of Jeremy's body is quickly dismissed due to investigators' insistence that Jeremy committed suicide. The conversation between Jessica and Marcos continued as she tried to explain to him that she wasn't saying he had anything to do with Jeremy's death, but she needed someone to talk to, and he was the only one she could trust. Marcos responded to her, I can't help you, Jessica. You may trust me, but I don't trust you, and you will never have the chance to sit down and speak face-to-face with me. Jessica told Marcos, 
Mary told me who fucking done it. What do I do? Call unknown? These aren't the only evidence or even the only messages that investigators have to indicate Jeremy Abbott was likely murdered and that Jessica's disappearance could very well be related to that. Law enforcement also obtained a search warrant for the Facebook records of a man named Stuart Cleveland. Stuart claimed to be trying to help Jessica's mom, Lynn, find Jessica, and his messages aren't hard to interpret. He told friends that Jesse Abbott and others associated with him took Jessica for payback over a family member's murder. While law enforcement did serve a search warrant, on Stewart's home, it appears he may have been treated more as a suspect than a potential witness or a person with potentially valuable information. Did the investigators ever take notice of his messages implicating Jesse Abbott and others in Jessica's disappearance? Or were all these messages simply disregarded because of law enforcement's insistence that Jeremy killed himself? The bottom line is there are people who have claimed to see Jessica Hamby after the morning of January 3rd, 2018. But were these accounts ever fully investigated or considered since investigators have openly and inaccurately stated they can't get Jessica off Elgin Cochran Road, at least not alive? It is our belief that much information has been ruled out based on that false belief and the complete unwillingness by investigators to consider that Jeremy Abbott was murdered and Jessica's disappearance is unlikely to be solved unless her case is worked by investigators who aren't invested in these likely false narratives and who will follow the actual evidence wherever that evidence might lead them. In the last episode, we discussed a number of deaths and disappearances among people who were part of the same social group as both Jessica and Jeremy. There's one correction and one addition that we need to make to that information. We told you that Greg Thrasher was found hanging behind a home in Lynn, It turns out that the location we stated is incorrect. Greg was actually found hanging behind a home in Haleyville. We have also been made aware of another man named Danny Dotson, who was briefly reported missing before being found hanging in Haleyville. Danny was last seen on January 27, 2018, just a little over three weeks after Jessica disappeared. He was on Dime Road, which is just minutes from where Jeremy Abbott was found hanging off Benefield Farm Road. I'm sure it'll be no surprise to you to learn that Danny was also part of this larger social group that Jeremy and Jessica were part of, and many of the people on his Facebook friends list are very familiar names to include Greg Thrasher, Jeremy Abbott, Jessica Hamby, JoLynn Murphy, Johnny Borden, and more. 
Danny's brother was married to the mother of Rebecca, who was Jeremy Abbott's girlfriend and the mother of his baby. While we cannot conclusively claim that all the deaths we've mentioned, including Danny's, are suspicious, it is important to note that four suicides by hanging from a tree within a span of 15 months in a small town among individuals who knew each other and were closely associated is statistically unlikely. Furthermore, most of these cases were closed with minimal investigation and no autopsy. To summarize, multiple disappearances resulted in four suicides by hanging, one unexplained death in the woods, two individuals who were still missing, and one resident who had moved to a nearby city and was said to have died of natural causes, though many believe it was due to an intentional insulin injection. It is worth noting that when you exclude Jeremy Abbott, all of these deaths and disappearances occurred within the first nine months of 2018. There is no doubt that a troubling and distressing pattern has surfaced. Regrettably, certain individuals who have taken an oath to serve and protect have unilaterally chosen to perform their duties only when they believe the victim is deserving. Unfortunately, the impoverished and those grappling with addiction have become victims of this prejudiced mindset, with those in authority deciding they are unworthy of justice. While this sickening mindset appears pervasive in certain areas of our state, the vast majority of law enforcement officers are just as repulsed by this behavior as we are, and it is up to some of those good officers to step up and help right these wrongs. 24-year-old Jessica Hamby was a beloved mother, sister, daughter, and friend. Jeremy Abbott was just 20 years old, and he too was loved by many. These were not hardened criminals. They were both young people who'd survived great suffering and mistreatment in their youth at the hands of adults they should have been able to trust. In the end, they both made bad decisions and struggled horribly with addiction. That shouldn't have been the end of their story, but both were the victims and pawns of a much larger scheme in which others line their pockets off the backs of those who've fallen into the trap of addiction. While this will be our last regular season episode about the disappearance of Jessica Hamby and the death of Jeremy Abbott, our investigation is not over. Our work is not done. There are still many avenues we plan to explore, and we will bring you special update episodes whenever possible. We will continue to fight for justice for both Jessica and Jeremy.
if you have any information that could help solve the disappearance of Jessica Hamby or the death of Jeremy Abbott, please email me at secretscrime at protonmail.com or call our confidential tip line at 205-282-0740. Michael and I will ensure that all information gets to the right place right away. If you are left still wanting even more content, please check us out on Patreon. We have filled it with great information about Susan and Evan, Eric and Gypsy, and Jessica and Jeremy. And we will be adding additional content. This podcast is an independent podcast. That means that everything that goes into making this podcast is done and funded by me. All the investigative tools and resources are provided by Echo 7 Foxtrot. The tragedies we highlight and investigate have had a tremendous impact on the victims, loved ones, and friends. We don't burden them with additional expenses to cover their cases. We donate our time and talents because we want to help and hope to find the answers they need that are so long overdue. For as little as $5 per month, you can receive exclusive access to members-only photos, videos, early access to episodes, and much, much more. By becoming a patron, you too are helping us help these families. Patreon.com slash Secrets Crime. I'll also post the link on our Facebook page. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast player of choice and by giving us a five-star rating and review. We are active on social media and will often share photos of Jessica and Jeremy. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Secrets Crime. This episode was co-written by me and Michael Fleming. The audio production for this podcast is by Kane Power at precisionpodcasting.com.